Hello, I'm Scott Millis, senior pastor here at Living Word Family Church, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and equips you in your walk with Christ. Here's today's message. Good morning. We've, uh, we have been looking for the last several weeks at the armor of God, the full armor of God. Let's look again at the pertinent passage in Ephesians chapter 6. We'll begin in verse 10 as usual. Ephesians 6.10 Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. First, we looked at the belt of truth, recognizing that everything we do and believe as believers hangs on the reality of God, revealed in Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. This is absolutely not a matter of, well, it's true for me because it works for me or anything like that. We believe it. We must believe it because it is true, objectively true. And we hang our faith on that. Uh, If Jesus is not God the Son, if Jesus is not the Word made flesh, if Jesus is not risen from the dead, then none of the rest of this stuff matters. Next, we looked at the breastplate of righteousness. Uh, We are protecting our hearts. The the breastplate protects our hearts against accusations from the enemy. I've preached it many times, and I stand by my statements that perhaps the greatest single roadblock to people receiving anything from God by faith is a sense of sin, a sense of unworthiness based on our knowledge of ourselves. We go to God, we try to be in faith, but we, we know ourselves and we think there's no way I deserve to get this from God. Uh, We are keenly aware of our own unrighteousness, so it is absolutely imperative to understand that uh, the righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness, is not our righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness is His righteousness imputed to us. That's what protects us against the mindset that will keep us from receiving things by faith. The righteousness of Jesus Christ Himself. Last week, we looked at the shoes, having our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And this speaks to where we are going, what this battle, what this war is all about. We are on a mission not to defeat the world, but to win the world to Christ. We are out there walking, shod, uh, to tell the world the good news that Jesus has canceled the sin debt all of us owe to God. And we no longer need to be in a state of warfare, of enmity with God. He is our peace. There has been 
declared an end to the hostility between God and man, the hostilities between God and man. Jesus has put an end to that uh, by his death and resurrection. And the shoes remind us of our mission to spread that word. Today, we are looking at the famous shield of faith. And the first thing I think about when I think about a shield is, it, is that it is a defensive piece of armament. And all of this is too, really. A helmet's defensive. A breastplate is defensive, all right? It's, it's protective. Um, but this is faith we're talking about. And this is big. This, this is the thing without which we cannot please God. Hebrews 11.6 says this, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Let me say something about that for a moment, because uh, I was having this conversation with somebody over the phone earlier this week. If... Uh, if what I am seeking in life is gold and I find gold, that is my reward. If I am seeking God, gold is not my reward. Success is not my reward. Healing is not my reward. If I'm seeking God, he is my reward. It says here, he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, he makes it clear that in him, all of our other needs are met as well. Healing is in him. Provision is in him. Protection is in him. But what we seek is him, and he himself is our great reward. So let me say this about the shield of faith and about the rest of the armor too, for that matter. Because faith is so fundamental. We are a word of faith church. And we believe that so many, when we go back to the question I asked during the communion meditation, why is there so much evil and suffering in the world, uh, this, this is not a blanket answer. It doesn't cover everything because there are some confusing specific cases that I can't answer. But it is largely true that many, many millions of people down through the ages have not received from God because they have not believed they would receive from God. When you look at how many people Jesus ministered to and how he specifically told them, your faith had something to do with this. Your faith has made you whole. Be it unto you according to your faith. Uh, and so all that to say, I don't see faith as merely a shield. I don't mean this, that, that it's a mere shield. I simply, all I'm saying is Paul is not defining faith as a shield. He's defining the shield as faith. You understand? We need a shield in battle, and that shield is faith. But that's not all that faith is. He's talking about the armor here. And in this case, he's talking, the shield you need is faith. So we need to see in this, in the context of spiritual warfare, what is a shield for? And what, how does faith manifest as a shield? And I, but I need to also point out that many times uh, we see that uh, we picture faith as a crowbar that we use to pry the blessings out of the arms of God, out of the hands of God, that God is holding tightly to healing, provision, protection, all these things that we want, all these things that we need, and he's challenging us. You want this? Then exercise your faith and get it from me. That's not what faith is. 
first of all, before I, before I uh, explain that a little further, let's look at what the shield protects us from. It says what? We, it, with the shield of faith, we quench all the fiery darts of the enemy, of the wicked one. Uh, some, some translations say flaming arrows or even missiles. Uh, but there, is, uh, there, there are several pieces of literature that talk about this, that the enemy would literally shoot flaming arrows. Sometimes they were, they were, they were actually hollowed out and filled with uh, something flammable on the inside. And then when they were fired and when they would strike, they would kind of not exactly explode, but they would spread this flammable material. And so the shields that the, that the Roman soldier had, they might have had a metal frame, sometimes a wooden frame, but often metal. And, but the, main, the, the bulk of the shield, the front of the shield facing the enemy, was leather very strong leather, and they would soak their shields in water before they went into battle so that when these flaming arrows hit, would do, uh, it, it, they would be extinguished by this wet leather. And uh, these missiles, these arrows, these darts, are what? They are any attack aimed at you from the devil, they often come in the forms of ideas, thoughts, things, but it'll help you sort this out if you remember the devil's mission. Our mission is to preach the good news. His mission is to what? He comes for what? The thief comes but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So these arrows, these darts, whatever they are specifically, they are designed to steal from you, to kill you, and to destroy you. And that's what the shield is for, to keep him from stealing from you. So think about this. A shield protects whatever is behind it. If the arrow is meant to steal from me, an idea, a thought, a temptation is meant to steal from me, it means it's something I already have. You see this? I don't go out with my shield of faith to get me some healing, to get me some provision, to get me some protection, to bring anything into my life. My shield of faith protects and preserves what God has already given me. Real faith understands that whether you're experiencing it manifestly yet, healing already belongs to you. It's already yours. Abundant provision belongs to you. Total restoration belongs to you. Confidence belongs to you. A sense of God's righteousness belongs to you. And it's that, these arrows that the devil are, are shooting at you to, to tell you, you are sick, you are sick, you are poor, you are defeated, you are broken. You're a sinner. And the more he can chip away at that, sooner or later he can bring people to the point of there is no God. The shield of faith then is what? What? Once again, where does faith begin? Faith begins where the will of God is known. Faith is always based on the word. Another way the word of God is often depicted in the scriptures is as water. Jesus himself said, uh, and now you are clean through the word that I've spoken to you. Um, in Ephesians uh, 
chapter 5, when he's talking about how Christ gave himself for the church, in verse 26, he says that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. I think this is interesting. In Luke eleven twenty-four, 24, uh, Jesus said, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest. You ever wonder about that? What does that mean, dry places? That, that demons are more likely to live in the desert than they are in the swamp? No, the dry places are places without the word. The devil has easier access to people who don't have the knowledge that the devil is defeated. No water, no word. So remember a couple things. When we are going into battle against an enemy who's shooting flame and arrows, we must be soaked, saturated in the word of God. This is how we will answer the accusations. It's how we'll respond to these thoughts and the ideas, everything the devil throws at us to get us to turn from our mission, to turn from our conviction that he is a good God who loves us. And let's start with this. Let's remember a couple things as we go into battle. First, he made a promise, Jesus did, while he was walking on the earth, while he was ministering for those three and a half years, that he would rise from the dead. Actually, he promised he would die. <laughs> he, he, he told his disciples straight out a number of times, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be turned over, and I'll be killed. But three days later, I will rise from the dead. Huge and bold and almost unthinkable promise. It was so outside the realm of the experience of the disciples that they didn't even know what he was talking about. You remember this? I always laugh about it. It's just kind of funny when you read it in Scripture. They're walking. He tells his disciples, we're on our way to Jerusalem. When we get there, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be turned over to the chief priests, and they will crucify the Son of Man. And three days later, I'll rise from the dead. And they're like, uh, okay, when you come into your kingdom, can I sit on your left side, my brother on your right side? Right over their heads. They didn't know what he was talking about. This is some mystery. wonder what he's really talking about. He was really talking about dying and rising from the dead. What I want you to think about, though, is he kept that promise. He promised to rise from the dead, and he did. And if he kept that promise, he can keep the rest of them. And here's another one. He has promised to come back. He promised to rise from the dead, and he will, and he did. He promised to come back, and he will. And when he comes back, you know what? He will find faith on the earth. I believe he's going to find faith right here at Living Word Family Church. Meanwhile, what do we do? We soak our shields in the water of the word and remember everything else that Jesus said about faith. Let me challenge you to tighten up and maybe raise your expectations. And this is tough. If we go too long without seeing a miracle, then we start wondering if any of our prayers are being answered. And so our expectations are lowered. Don't lose heart. Keep praying for the things he said to pray for. Keep praying for the things he said you can have. Keep praying and standing on and claiming the promises of God and let's expect to see exactly what we're praying for. Matthew chapter 7. This is, I'm going to share something with you. I shared this with our small group the other night. Uh, I was actually uh, listening to uh, 
a, a minister on the radio who was talking about the Holy Spirit. And it was funny. He's good. He's one of my favorites. I won't name him. I like him. But he, w- he would have a different uh, take on the baptism of the Holy Spirit than you and I would. But he did mention uh, this scripture, just a little part of it. But I'm going to read it to you in context. In Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 7, uh, Jesus said, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven Give good things to those who ask him. Now, look at Matthew chapter 4. It's still in Matthew. Just go back a few chapters. Chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now this is important. When, and this, it all kind of depends on how you picture the temptation episode. I remember having an argument with somebody in high school who said, no, this is Jesus. He rated a personal opinion, and my whole uh, contention was and remains that the devil, his number one, really his only power is to deceive. Uh, and and I've, I, I said, you know, no matter how tempted you are to do something, if you could see the devil, and you know it's the devil standing there, you know, picture him if you want cartoony with a pitchfork and, a, uh, everything, and horns and tail and everything saying, I want you to do this. Even if you didn't see anything wrong with it, you'd say, no way, I'm not going to do what the devil's telling me to do. I believe the devil came to Jesus like he comes to you and me. A thought comes into his head, a powerful temptation to do something, and Jesus is like, I am the Son of God. If I'm hungry, I can command these stones to be made bread. But he recognized instantly. Why did he recognize instantly? Because Jesus knows his Father. He knows how his Father works. And what father among you, if a son asks for bread, is going to give him a stone? That's not how God desires to operate in our life. God, I need bread. Here's a rock. Exercise your faith. And if you have enough faith, that rock will become bread. Is that a good father? When we ask for bread, what does God give us? He gives us bread. Even when you look at this, is always is this. I just I love picturing so many scenes in the Bible, and this is one that gets me. When they came, uh, when Peter came and said, "Hey, the, the temple tax people were asking, uh, do we do we pay temple tax?" And Jesus has this playful conversation with Peter saying, well, you know what, uh, who pays, the sons or the, or the slaves? And blah, you know, so it makes this little argument, just as an aside. He's not taking a stand on this. He says, you know, really, we're the sons. We're exempt. 
We don't have to pay anything, but we don't want to offend anybody. So I'll tell you what, go cast your line into the water. The first fish you pull out will have a coin in its mouth. You take it and pay the tax for you and for me. This was a miracle. All right. So even though it wasn't like a poof, a coin appears out of midair, what Jesus could have said was, we don't want to offend anybody, so go fishing, catch a fish or catch some fish, take those fish to market, sell them, and then use that money to pay the temple tax. No, that's not what he did. He said, you need money? God's going to provide money. And I'll show you how big a miracle it is. I'm not even going fishing with you. You go down there. God has appointed a fish. God, however long ago, appointed a coin to fall into the water, and that fish picked it up, and this is going to be the first fish, fist, fish you catch, and it's going to be just enough for your tax and for mine. When God's children ask for bread, he gives them bread. Does he, do we know that he wants us to ask for bread? Yes, Give us this day our daily bread is how he taught us to pray. Every time you see a promise, every time you see a statement about what God will do, you are supposed to pray that. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory. Now thanks be unto God who is able to do everything we ask. Above everything we ask. Abundantly above everything we ask exceedingly abundantly above what we ask or think do you get the sense that maybe we should raise our expectations that we should be bold if god desires to exceedingly abundantly answer our prayers and this is where boy this is uh, aside from tongues one of the things that gets really people really twisted is when you start talking about prosperity and i'm not talking about God, make me a millionaire. I'm saying if you need money, tell God, I need money. And you've promised to supply all my need according not to my righteousness, not even according to my need, but according to your riches and glory. Is there anything in the Bible that you can see that, that makes you think God doesn't want you to have it? Historically, God has abundantly supplied for his people. But let's expect it. Same with our healing. I know we've taken some tough hits as a congregation and we're still not seeing the manifestation of every healing we're praying for but we are going to keep praying but not begging right keep speaking it claiming it and expect to see it because everything he promised will come to pass and it's that shield of faith that will protect us from the thoughts that say i've got this wrong God didn't mean what he said. There's a spiritual, mysterious meaning beside these promises for healing, behind these promises for healing, and these promises for abundance, and these promises for protection. I'm not seeing it, so I've got it wrong. Or it's not happening for me because there's some sin in my life that I forgot about and God hates me or God's mad at me. No, no, no. Let the word of God quench those thoughts, those attacks, because that's what they are. Those aren't from God. Remember, this was never about your righteousness in the first place. <coughs> Excuse me. Whew. Anyway, let us uh, let's start praying again specifically, praying big, and praying with an expectation that what we pray for is exactly what God is going to give us, that what we need is exactly what God is going to give us.
and that what God said we can have is exactly what we can have and what God expects us to pray for. You know, God can and has provided for me and answered prayers on the oblique, as it were. I just want us to get excited about the possibility of God showing off in our midst again and just giving us straightforward answers to bold, faith-filled, straightforward prayers. That means we have to stand on his word, and if we're going to stand on his word and his promises, we have to know that's the soaking. That's what I love about the illustration of the shield, is that it, it, it will not, just taking that narrow example of the Roman shield that had to soak that leather, it will not work if we are not saturated in the word of God. We can fake boldness, we can fake excitement, but when the attacks come, what we need to be saturated with is a knowledge and a conviction, a thorough knowledge and conviction of what specific promises we are standing on. Amen? Praise the Lord. Praise and worship team, come up here. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you enjoyed today's message, consider sharing it with a friend. For more content and information about Living Word, check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. And remember to live the gospel and preach the gospel.